0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Journey Podcast. We are your hosts, Cav Dadfer and Jordan Banks, and we are delighted to have the award-winning Lottie Gross join us today. Lottie, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks, Cav. How are you? yeah
0: very good very good enjoying this fine british weather of uh well (laughs) cloud and uh cold wind and rain and everything else so uh so yeah all good and jordan how are you doing yeah yeah very good thanks nice
2: to have you here lottie thanks for joining us always a
1: pleasure
0: fantastic so um we're gonna dive straight in um lottie why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and uh what what actually made you want to get into travel writing
1: Sure and so I'm uh, right now I'm a freelance travel writer um, and editor and I do Everything from editorial for newspapers and magazines and websites to um, the sort of more B2B side of things, um, working for travel brands, helping them shape the copy on their websites or in their brochures and things like that. So I have quite a varied workload. Um, Right now though, I'm working on a guidebook um, called Dog Friendly Weekends, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, But if we go right back to the beginning, um, I sort of always knew I wanted to be a journalist um, in some capacity when I was 15 years old and doing a an internship at a magazine um, in my local town, um, which is still going by the way, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> but um, so I sort of always knew I wanted to be some kind of writer or journalist in some capacity. And then I took a year out before going to university and I spent three months traveling around Asia. Uh, and that really um, that that, you know, bolstered my travel bug, so to speak. And from there, I I almost didn't go back to university. I almost didn't go because I just thought, so bad, why would I go back into education when I could just spend the rest of my life traveling? Um, But the common sense got the better of me. And I went to uni, I studied journalism, um, and then I married my two passions by essentially tailoring everything I did at uni in my, my last couple of years towards writing about foreign places, Um, you know foreign people international cultures and things like that Um, and from there um, it was actually in my final year of university when I was creating my uh, final project Um, I made a film in Kenya I specialised in documentary making and I made a film in Kenya and it was during that time that I um, managed to link up with the writer of The Rough Guide to Kenya And while I was up in in northern Kenya, which is a region that not many people go to, uh, he asked me if I would update some of that area of the guidebook. And of course I said yes. Um, I regret not invoicing him now, but we (laughs) live and we learn. Uh, (laughs) But it was from there, you know, I, I, I got to know a little bit more about guidebook writing and how it works. Um, and I thought this is quite cool. And I don't think this guy's done a great job. Sorry, Richard, if you're listening um, on this section of the book. So I think I could do it better. Maybe I should become a travel writer and write guidebooks. And then as I was graduating, before I even graduated, a job came up um, at Rough Guides, a brand new role, web editorial assistant. Nobody really knew what it meant, including the team hiring for it. Um, but it was essentially, you know, an admin and editorial assistant role on a website um in 2013 that came up I got the job somehow out of 600 applicants and that launched my career basically um so yeah that's that
0: fantastic well I mean that that so so the rough Guides was your first job out of university is that right
1: yeah yep I left Bournemouth and moved to London straight away and um yeah kicked off my career
0: Fantastic. Right in with a big gun straight off the bat. with the rough Absolutely. Like get, I, I don't think do about by <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. So I mean, I think, um, is, that, is that something that you think is kind of normal for people that wanting to get into travel? Or do you think it's sort of harder now to be able to, to take that route? And you kind of almost have to leave university and, you know, freelance for a while, or you have to kind of intern for a while to be able to get your foot, foot in the door?
1: Oh, I mean, it's so varied. Um, I I run a travel writing course, and people always ask me what are the like how, what are the best ways to get into the industry. And so, as part of this course, I put together um, some materials on how some of my colleagues got into the industry. And actually, the majority of people I know never intended to be travel writers. They didn't. I I'm a very sort of one track minded person I see what I want and I go and I get it right whereas most people come out of uni and don't necessarily know what they want so a lot of my colleagues got into travel writing through other avenues maybe working on a news desk and then sort of accidentally ending up going on press trips and then getting into travel writing a bit more or maybe uh, they started out in PR and then eventually got into travel writing Um, it's really really varied so I don't think there is a single Uh, way into it the way I came into it was a very sort of targeted way and and that was really I don't want to pick myself up too much but that was down to my dedication and determination to get into this Mm. industry in the first place Um, and you need so much of that you need so much dedication and determination if you want to get into this because it is highly competitive there aren't very many staff jobs I was so lucky that that rough guide job came up just as I was graduating, Um, and and that I managed, you know, to impress the the hiring managers out of (laughs) all of the other applicants as well. But um, it it is hugely competitive, and and really there isn't a single route in. But I I would say interning at travel publications absolutely does help. If you can get a paid internship, that's even better, or at least expenses paid. Um, and, And I would say just publishing your own work, um, whether that's just through you know really beautifully written Instagram posts or Facebook posts if you've got a public page or, or through your own blog or whatever um, I would say that's you know a, an equally good way to get into the industry just if if you can show an editor what you're capable of or even just you know a hiring manager what you're capable of then you're far more likely um, to get into some kind of role if, if that's what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I think that's terrific uh, advice. And um, yeah, we absolutely encourage self-publicity on this podcast. So nothing wrong with that whatsoever. (laughs) Um, You obviously then left your staff job essentially, and you made the transition to becoming a freelancer. Um, And I think anyone who's ever left, you know, any job, any permanent job to become a freelancer it is very daunting, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, you are are leaving something that is, uh, you know, very secure, and you're, you're basically stepping into the unknown. So how did you go about making that transition? Did you kind of have things lined up? Or did you sort of just make the leap and then hope for the best?
1: (laughs) There was a lot of hoping for the best, but I was quite uh, calculated about the way I went about Going freelance. Um, although it did sort of happen accidentally, I always assumed that I would go freelance. In my last couple of years at Rough Guides, I'd been doing a bit of freelancing on the side, and I sort of always thought that that was the path I would eventually take. Um, but then I got another staff job at another publisher and I launched Low Exploring for them, um, which is a, a travel website that's still going now. Um, uh, but I was, you know, I was always sort of freelancing on the side, and then it, it got to a point where my freelance work was it could potentially earn me more money than my salary was paying me and so i had the difficult kind of decision to make what where which direction do i go in do i stay with my secure salaried role or do i go freelance and and try and make more money on a monthly basis than i'm earning right now Um, and ultimately as my freelance work picked up and i was getting more and more inquiries from brands to help with their content and i had editors coming to me asking if i would write content for their websites or magazines or whatever, I thought, okay, it, this is obviously the world telling me I've got to go freelance because uh, I couldn't keep up with my full-time job and all this freelance like landing in my lap on the side. So I, I did it, I took the decision to go freelance in July, 2018, I think it was. Um, and I I feel like I haven't stopped since Um, but I like I said I left with a a sort of base of of freelance clients already I was doing b2b writing for booking.com writing about sort of the inner workings of the travel industry and the hotel booking side of things Um, and I had a couple of other sort of regular clients and then the website that I had launched for love inc LoveExploring.com, I then was able to start freelancing for them they they asked me if I would Stay on in a freelance capacity and just keep doing content for them as well. So, I was fairly well set up when I went freelance, um, but it all came a lot earlier than I anticipated. I thought I would probably do a decade in in staff roles and then go off and become a freelancer and do my own thing. Maybe you know when I turned thirty or thirty five. Um, and actually, it, it came a good five or six years before I anticipated that.
0: That's fantastic, and I think. Um if I if if memory serves me right you would have made that transition before the pandemic so uh, I mean who knows the pandemic's been going on for so long now that it feels like you know it was around (laughs) when I was like two but um but that was I mean obviously you you didn't envision this happening so did you manage to kind of work still work through that pandemic or did you find that obviously like most other freelancers you were you know jobs have dried up How, how did you kind of cope during that period as a freelancer?
1: Yeah, I, so I had a good sort of 18 months before the pandemic came along, um, which was good because it meant I was eligible for some of the um, employment support scheme grants um, for a little while at least. Um, but I mean, it's it was so, it was such a surprise. I was on my way to Peru when lockdown came along um, and I got a phone call while I was on the bus to the airport to say, turn around and go home. We're not gonna fly you out to Peru anymore. It's too dangerous. Um we can get wow. you out there, but we can 't get you back basically, so from that moment, I sort of foresaw that a lot of things were going to fall apart um and I think I calculated I lost when Boris renson announced lockdown, literally overnight projects and projects and projects were cancelled, and I lost about twenty four thousand pounds just like that wow. um of my of my sort of future income um So I I sat around and panicked for a little bit. Um, I had some sort of residual work that I'd already been paid for. So I had stuff to do during the day, which was good. And I had a little, you know, bank of money that I was um, able to rely on for a couple of months. Um, And then it was just sort of, I think I was fumbling my way along and occasionally pitching a feature here and there. I ended up doing a lot of op-ed writing for The Telegraph, Um, you know, a lot of uh nostalgic travel pieces or you know ranting about the government's stupid guidelines and i sort of um i i almost became the go-to person for a couple of editors when they needed somebody to get angry about something um which was great fun um you know they would say to me okay what do you think about this this new travel policy and i'd say i think it's ridiculous and brilliant write 700 words by tomorrow morning or whatever um so I started to do quite a lot of stuff for the telegraph um in their sort of comment section which was always quite fun um and then as travel started opening up again um a few months later down the line and we were able to travel domestically at least um they sort of sent me off on trips around the UK to to sort of report on what was going on in the context of the pandemic and travel within the UK and then and eventually they sent me to um, Spain. They sent me to a Magaloof of all places. So so glamorous. Magaloof. Uh, wow. Yeah, from I know. The past. <laughs> it, yeah, and you know what? But it wasn't at all. It was so different. It was so bleak and so quiet and very strange, to be honest, um, experience. But um, so sort of things sort of gradually picked up. Um, but I I I essentially just sort of pivoted to doing mostly UK stuff. Um, and I did a lot of uh, eventually sort of late last year I did a lot of reporting at Heathrow airport so there was a lot you know when when the sort of travel rules were changing chopping and changing a lot last year um, and you know people were being given two days notice to come home from places or whatever I was being sent to Heathrow airport by the telegraph to go and essentially chat people up and see if I can get some interesting stories so I spent a little while doing that as well um and then I sort of lo- gave loitering around ahead. Heathrow <laughs> yeah it, well yeah and you I had to eventually stop doing it because I was genuinely worried that they were gonna that they'd clock my number plate on their, <laughs> their security cameras and they'd see me wandering around the airport with no bags at one point I did take an empty suitcase with me just to make it look like I was planning on going somewhere but mm-hmm. I you know I would go there I'd park for the maximum two hours and then drive home again and I wasn't bringing anybody with me I wasn't dropping anybody off or picking anybody up so it just looked really <laughs> dodgy so I, I did say to the editor at one point I was like I think you need to send somebody else for this next one because I'm worried I'm going to get arrested when I arrive
0: <laughs> well, well 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 done for not getting arrested and um, and also well done for foreseeing what was going to happen because um there's someone on this uh, podcast that uh, had a completely different view of what the pandemic was going to turn out like and uh and uh, Jordan do do you want to just let let everyone know what you thought was going to happen when 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 we spoke as this was happening
2: I'd rather not to be honest like I, I pretty much dismissed it and thought oh, it couldn't possibly be this bad you know it'll be over at what in a few weeks or days or something and I was like we'll all be totally screwed if this happens like it can't happen and then obviously we all know the rest and I think I then even made another prediction stupidly that it might you know about the second lockdown I was like no it can't happen again and now i've just uh given up trying even to be honest i've
0: learned my lesson so so yeah so so no no one no one go to jordan for any predictions of what's going to happen in the future (laughs) yeah definitely not clearly not gonna get get that right um Okay, so Lottie, I mean, obviously you are a very successful writer, but you are also, um, you have a very successful newsletter as well, which you obviously started. Mm. And I remember because I was one of the first people to sign up to it. And uh, I mean, it's just grown and grown and grown. And for me, it's, it's a fantastic source of information that I, I, I mean, I think everyone should subscribe to it because it's absolutely brilliant. How did that come about? You know, what made you kind of do it? What made you start it? And how did you end up growing it?
1: Um, So, uh, Talking Travel Writing is the name of the newsletter, Um, essentially it was born out of my own insecurities about being a travel writer, um, particularly in the midst of a pandemic, Um, and I, I think at the time, I think it was around June 2020, which seems like an awful long time ago, uh, but it was around that time, I I was chatting with a colleague, Steph Dyson, who I run this newsletter with, and I said to her, I just feel like we need more transparency and we need to be talking about all the stuff that we're going through. We have got, you know, this, 2020 was an exceptional year for travel journalists and the travel sections. And we had a huge responsibility to the public you know and to ourselves and to the publications we were writing for to be you know honest and open and and essentially to try and keep people safe we went from being people who were just there you know writers who were there to inspire people at to being news journalists overnight or being uh, you know reporters who had a real responsibility to public health and and that kind of thing so I, I was really I was stressed about it internally and I wanted somewhere a to sort of let that out and b where people could join in a bit of a discussion and you know where where we could talk about it openly um and I, I was subscribed to a couple of newsletters already and I just thought you know what that's a really nice way of building a community you know by sending out a newsletter that people will then share and have discussions about on social media so that was the sort of initial idea and then it it sort of snowballed within I think we announced we were going to write a newsletter about the the travel writing industry and and how we're coping and and you know what's next for us and stuff in you know July maybe or or late June Um, and by the time our first issue went out we already had 1500 subscribers and we hadn't even sent anything but you know previous to that so it was wild how many people signed up uh, in advance of the newsletter going out Um, and now we've just got just over 2000 people. And in October last year, we launched the paid version of the newsletter, which is a weekly newsletter um, where there's a a different theme every month. um, And we sort of deep dive into different topics. And that has now, we've got over 200 people, I think, subscribed to that as well. So it's amazing, you know, the response we've had. And it was it was clear after we had all those subscriptions um, pop up initially that we were hopefully filling a gap. Um, but really, it's, it's just a place to discuss our industry and try and help each other and be more open because it is a very closed industry and it can be quite intimidating, especially if you're a young freelancer or even a staffer who, you know, when I was a staffer, I joined, you know, going straight into an editorial team and a guidebook publisher. Um, I didn't know anything about press trips. I didn't know anything about pitching and how it worked. I didn't know it. I knew nothing about everything, basically, um, except, you know, this, the little role that I played within the company I was working for. So I just wanted it to be a place where people could come for advice and insight um, and and hopefully news about, you know, what's going on.
0: Well, I, I mean, I, I subscribe to it and I think it's absolutely terrific and uh, and people can still subscribe to that now. So if someone wanted to sign up, they can just uh, go onto the website and subscribe to it.
1: Yeah, it's just travelwriting.substack.com. That is it. And you'll find, um, you, you'll see all the, the sort of past free editions on there and then, um, if you pay to subscribe, which is, I think, just a fiver a month, um, then you get the full archive as well, which has got loads of amazing content in it, loads of interviews with editors and um, calls with pitches and pitching guidelines and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it really is terrific. And, um, I, I mean, anyone who uh, wants to get a better understanding of the industry and how it all works is absolutely – I can—I couldn't uh, recommend it enough. So it's fantastic. Um, Thanks, Cav. Let's talk about your guidebook, um, which is – coming out soon. Um, When I was kind of first thinking about a career in travel I kind of thought guidebooks is what I wanted to write because I I used to travel around the world with my Lonely Planet guidebook and I thought yeah it's all glamorous you know you get to visit all these amazing places work for you know an hour a day and go sit on the beach. Obviously the reality isn't quite like that. Um, So before we get into kind of the the reality of it uh, what is your guidebook about? How did you go about Thinking of the idea and and how did you go about pitching it?
1: So um, the guidebook is called Dog Friendly Weekends: Fifty Breaks in Britain for You and Your Dog. Um, I got my first dog in twenty eighteen. Um, his name was Milo. He was a Manchester Terrier, same as my current dog Artie, um, and he basically followed me everywhere I went uh when I was going on press trips if he could come along he would come along um sometimes my ex-partner would come with us too but you know I much prefer traveling with just the dog uh it's not true sorry Nathan, if you <laughs> um <laughs> but but he he really was sort of by my side a lot of the time and I mean he was just such a great companion and a pure joy bringer um I thought this is so great traveling with my dog I love it but there is I mean, there's loads of content out there for dog owners, (laughs) not for dogs, I don't care. Um, But there's loads of content out there for dog owners. But but it's not hugely practical. And it's all very focused on hotels and restaurants or pubs or whatever. Um, And there isn't sort of really one place where you can go to get ideas for a dog-friendly holiday. So the idea behind this book was that it would be you know, the ultimate sort of travel tome for dog owners where they could just go and flick through it, find a destination and be able to plan an entire weekend away based on that, that chapter. Um, so that's what I'm creating. I, I initially pitched it to Dorling Kindersley, actually, and I went through 10 months of back and forth with them in the middle of the pandemic, which is why it took so long. Um, and eventually they decided not to roll with, with the title because their priorities had sort of shifted a bit during the pandemic. Um... And then literally within a couple of months, I had a really positive response from Brat Guides. I, I literally just emailed um, Simon Wilmore, actually the chair of the, the Guild of Travel Writers, um, who yeah. also works for Brat. And I just said, Simon, I want to pitch this book. How do I pitch a book to Brat? And he just said, oh, well just, you know, send me some information and I'll pass it on to Adrian, the managing director. Next thing I knew, I'm on a call with Adrian, the managing director of Brat, um, one of the commissioning editors and the head of sales uh, and I'm having to pitch this sort of guidebook that I've dreamt up in my head and had no consultation you know with the publisher about at all yet so (laughs) it was all a bit mad Um, but that was in January this year and by March I had the go ahead they said yep crack on get writing get researching let's you know let's do this Um, so so yeah that's that's sort of how it came about really I think that's one of the key things um you know within travel writing is knowing the right people and having good contacts and having good relationships I have a great relationship with Simon we're good mates we'll go drinking together but you know we also can work together in professional capacity Um, I know Adrian I've met him through various guild events Um, and I once sat next to Hilary Bratt on the bus so I'm sure that helped too Um, and so having all of those connections meant that it was relatively simple for me to sort of get my foot in the door at brat and say please will you listen to my idea um so that's sort of one takeaway from this situation that i think is quite useful i hope
0: oh well that's uh, that's fantastic and um so in the actual reality of writing a guidebook um what's it like what does it involve is it is it just you know like i thought an hour of uh hard work and then the rest <laughs> is spent in pubs or is it actually more to it than that I, think,
1: I i think the word i would use if there was one word choose, one word it would be brutal
0: <laughs> guidebooks
1: are brutal i have to say this guidebook is not half as brutal as some of the others i've worked on um i had to condense uh, the entire country of albania into 14 pages uh, back in 2015, when I worked on the Rough Guide to Europe on a budget. Um, <laughs> so I spent three weeks traveling around Albania and had to condense that into 14 pages, which was just insanely hard. Um, and I spent um, 10 days in Mumbai to write the Mumbai chapter of the Rough Guide to India and also the DKI witness Guide, and uh, that was also brutal. It was just, you know, 6am starts, midnight finishes going into 10, 15 bars, hotels, restaurants, plus museums, plus, you know, other attractions, whatever, um, and trying to figure out which ones were worth keeping in the guide, which ones were worth, um, you know, dropping or adding or whatever. And it's just, it is completely brutal. Um, There's a quote by a a man called Stuart McDonald, who runs Travel Fish, which is a Southeast Asia travel blog and and sort of guide um, online. He says, and maybe he's quoting somebody else on this, but um, in one of his recent newsletters, he said that travel writing is all about seeing everything but experiencing nothing. And that really sums up guidebook writing. I have seen every corner of Mumbai, but I've experienced none of it. I can't tell you how it makes me feel. I can't tell you. Uh, I can't tell you in any great detail what I saw, except I can tell you how much a cocktail costs at Mama Lou's on, you know, the Colaba Causeway. So there we go.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think, I think that's kind of pr- pretty much spot on, isn't it? If you want to, if you want to travel the world and experience it and really live it, guidebooks aren't the way to do it. It's uh, absolutely definitely not like that. I just quickly wanted to pull up on something you mentioned
2: Lossie during that about, uh, you know, high, when you were reviewing the places to include in restaurants and bars and things. I'm assuming they didn't know you were there in your capacity as a rough guide author. It was a complete secret, is it?
1: It's, it's sort of hit and miss, really. Sometimes I, I will announce my arrival and say oh, I'm a guidebook writer, I'd love to include your you know your establishment can you tell me a bit more about it um or I'll just fly completely in the radar and go and have a drink there or a meal there myself and and just see what it's like um it it really varies and it just depends on how organized you can be before you go on your trip usually you sort of fly under the radar and hope that nobody notices
0: yeah okay cool good to know fantastic (laughs) fantastic yes flying under the radar is always a good idea I think when when it comes to uh, any sort of travel (laughs) but definitely let's let's talk about journey um and obviously you contributed the first issue um so what uh, what way do you want to get involved
1: uh, i just loved the concept of a magazine by freelancers um you know that was there to essentially help a bunch of poor freelancers who had been made unemployed during the pandemic i just you know that married that collaborative nature of journey really married with the ideas that we had behind our newsletter talking travel writing. So I think it just felt like a really natural fit for me and just exciting to be part of something new and different and to have something positive to shout about in the middle of the chaos that we were going through at the beginning of this year.
0: Fantastic. And, and obviously you, um, you did a wonderful piece on Gibraltar. Um, but I'm sure you obviously, when you did the trip, you probably had some interesting encounters or anything that you kind of made you worried. I mean, how, how was the actual experience of being there and, and doing that?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it was a really unusual trip. I, I was in Gibraltar initially for The Telegraph, um, writing a story on essentially whether or not I was caught at Heathrow. Um, I had the editor call me up on the Friday and say, I need you to go somewhere abroad in the next five days um I want to know if the travel ban really exists or if they're not bothering to check why people are traveling because at the time we were in lockdown um lockdown number two good times November um the one everybody ignored I don't know if you remember that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but um we had a travel ban in place so I was basically just going to Gibraltar for the sake of going abroad um if you can really call it abroad. Uh, but yes, I mean, it was it was odd to be there and, and not really have um, a proper agenda, so to speak. I did another piece of Telegraph on just what it was like to be in Gibraltar and how the island was coping, you know, without all of the British tourists that they they're used to getting. Um, and and so I was sort of, you know, at my leisure a lot of the time. So it was a real pleasure to get the opportunity to go and hang out with um, these these monkeys um they are you know absolutely fascinating um and and my guide was just he was absolutely brilliant Brian was you know a primatologist first and foremost so he was a completely you know brilliant and and it was funny um you said, were there any sort of experiences that I was a bit a bit worried about? I mean, aside from being in an airport for, you know, one of the first times um, since the pandemic began, that was obviously a bit fraught, although it was nice and quiet, at least. <laughs> exactly, through, yeah. through lockdown. Um, but there was an incident at the beginning of the trip, which I didn't write about in my story because it didn't quite fit with the narrative. Um, uh, but, but so there was this um, incident at the beginning of our little um, foray with, the um, macaques where he, Brian had a snack in his pocket and he he gave me this big speech on why you shouldn't carry food and I don't need my sunglasses, I don't need my camera, I don't need anything. Um, So I left everything in the car and we walked down the hill and we're standing around and these monkeys are on the wall and he's maybe a foot or two away from a, a monkey. And it realizes he's got food in his pocket, and he had obviously given me this big spiel about don't bring any food with you, <laughs> and he had a banana in his pocket, <laughs> um, and the, so the monkey went for it, and and he had this little fracas with this monkey, and I was, it was quite shocking because it was a it was very fast, and I didn't quite see how it happened or what happened, but then to see his reaction and the way he, um, you know, as I describe in the piece, he made this oh. Um, shape with his mouth and got right up in the monkey's face and was quite aggressive towards it in a you know in a sort of you know not actually touching it but he was his body language was very aggressive. And that was, you know, to have witnessed that before I got any of the other context um, that he was about to give me (laughs) was quite shocking. Um, So it it definitely started off that. And that was when I knew that it was going to be interesting. That's when I knew that there was a story to be told here, um, because I could see that he really knew what he was doing, uh, despite the fact that he was standing with an open pocket full of bananas. Um, And he could he, he just... And he could communicate with these monkeys and they respected him. That was the baffling thing, was that they respected him um, and they understood him to be, you know, a, a sort of member of not necessarily their society or their troop, but, you know, the society in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating piece. And I I remember reading that and, and just being absolutely engrossed in, in, you know, what you'd written and really captivated by it. I mean, obviously you've, traveled far and wide you've I'm sure got a a ton of stories up your sleeve that editors are just absolutely dying to get Um, what made you pitch that particular story uh, for Journey rather than you know something else that you had in mind
1: in um, brutal honesty here, I had literally had no other stories to pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really go anywhere in 2020. I, I wasn't going to pitch you a story about going out and getting drunk in Magalief when no one else was there, which I did do and it was quite fun, but I don't believe that I've got much to say about it, apart from that the, the gym was pretty cheap and the bars were really loud, <laughs> but there was no one there. Um, so uh, Gibraltar was the only other place I had been to abroad that year. Um, and I had been on that trip with the macaques and Brian and, you know, enjoying that tour and in the back of my mind going, OK, I've definitely got to pitch this as a feature, I've definitely got to pitch this as a feature to somebody at some point, you know, whatever. Um, and so I sort of had that ready made story. And then when you got in touch instead of making this magazine to you, if you've got anything that you want to pitch. Um, you know, I think I pitched a few things but the only thing that could have really worked was the Gibraltar piece because I'd already done, I'd been there and done it already and it was yeah. essentially ready to be written. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, anything else they wanted to do would have required going away. And we all know how easy that's been in the last 18 months.
0: Of course, of course. And, uh, yeah, I know it was a fantastic... And I, I know that uh, the Magaluf story, I know Jordan would be really keen to have that in the next issue and he'll he'll be really keen on getting the pictures sorted for that. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> I see, I see <laughs> those
2: drunken night pictures. We'll have those. Like, exactly. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brits abroad, that's what we want. Yeah, yeah absolutely truth Um, behind Brits Abroad, maybe something like that.
1: I don't think anyone needs to see that.
0: 100% not. Um, I'm just going to ask you, Jordan, actually, because obviously that particular piece, um, you know, one of the the things with that, when you're putting that together from a pictorial side is that you want to try and keep it sort of unique in that all the pictures are not looking like it's just rep- repetition of you know monkey after monkey so I mean what, what were you kind of looking for when you were putting that piece together was there anything sort of that you thought well I want to try and make sure that there is a good variety how did you go about that?
2: Yeah I think I just went into the variety of it. I mean obviously the you know the monkeys it, it was just too repetitive you just put pictures of monkeys everyone would get it after one or two pictures at least so but Gibraltar is quite a striking place and you know I didn't have much trouble really finding you know telling the story from that and finding images that sort of fitted in with the narrative of what Lottie had written and obviously I hope you agree with what we came up with I know you sort of signed it off as well didn't you Lottie we got everything right so um yeah
1: absolutely yeah
2: uh, one thing I did find quite hard if I kicked myself a bit obviously I spent a lot of time my parents live in Estepona so basically just across the border from um Gibraltar yeah I must have been there god knows I mean I fly in and out of there I spend quite a lot of time there just seeing friends and things and it made me think why haven't I ever gone and done this and it would have been a lot easier for one I just had photos that I already knew were there and you know could match up rather than have to search for things but also why have I never gone up and done this and just seen it myself as well Mm. so um when I finally get the chance I'll definitely go back there and I'll probably have some new photographs so if we can uh ever if we ever repeat ourselves <laughs> <laughs> when, when the big website doing.
1: launch comes when the big website launch comes you'll have brand new photography for that piece. yeah exactly <laughs>
2: exactly that if i can get out there that is as well of course
1: again but, uh, <laughs> true, very true
0: um yeah i mean it's um we're, we're sort of coming up to the end of our podcast um Lottie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, all your insights and obviously your contribution to the first issue of Journey. Um, if Thank people you want so much for having me. To, um, If people want to kind of follow you or get in touch, what's the best way they can do that?
1: Um, I am most active on Twitter, probably. So look me up. I'm Lottie, L-O-T-T-I-E, C for Charlie, Gross, G-R-O-S-S. That's my handle, Lottie C Gross. I'm on Instagram too, but I'm pretty sporadic and I don't I don't really respond much on there. So Twitter's definitely the go-to for me.
0: Fantastic. So any editors out there that want to uh, send lottie off for <laughs> press books around the world, uh, you know where to get a hold of her. Um, but only after
1: November the 15th when my book deadline's done. That's it, November 15th. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely absolutely. Um well it's been a pleasure. Um we hope that you've enjoyed uh being on the podcast and thank you everyone to l- yeah, for listening. Thank you. Um and yeah, yeah thanks you, very much. And you can see uh Lottie's uh wonderful piece in the first issue of Journey We hope to see you again soon. Thank you.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style
0: with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more